Just last week, we considered uh, the, the brilliant truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And that is a verse that just, it should overwhelm us with hope. As we look at our lives and we, we know the struggle of living, that's a promise, that's a truth that should give us hope. New creation. New life in Christ, this is possible. And that's our story, right? That, that should be why you're here today. You, you came today because you're a new creation in Christ. You came today because Christ has given you new life and you, you sang the songs along with me because He is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy because of all that He has done for us. This is our hope both now and for all eternity. Our hope, our life. But what about those who aren't gathered here with us today? What about those who aren't gathered with other churches that are presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ today? What about those who are hopeless and feel that hopelessness in the middle of a nasty divorce that they're going through right now? Or what about those who are today, even while we're gathering here, they're, they're at home and they're contemplating suicide? Or families that are grieving the loss of a loved one who, who committed suicide? What about the woman who was just diagnosed with terminal breast cancer? What about the, the, the guy who just can't seem to get control of his anger? Or the individual who is suffering through addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography what about those individuals who will who will tell them that there is hope who will tell them that they can have a new life they can be a new creation in Christ as we learned last week and as we'll learn again this week that is a job that has been entrusted to us that's a job that's been given to those who have experienced the new creation, and the new life that we find in Jesus. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. They were trying to trip him up with their questions. And uh, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And they robbed him and they beat him up and left him for dead. And along passes by a, a priest and he moves to the other side and ignores, and a Levite, and he moves to the side and he ignores, and then comes the Samaritan, the sworn enemy of this dying Jewish man. And what does he do? He stoops to help. He stoops to offer hope and help to this man who will die otherwise. It's our job to stoop and to help. And so today, I want to pick up with a little bit of the context that we left off with last week. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, which I just quoted, and we're going to read all the way into chapter 6 a little bit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. And here's where we pick up this week, verse 20. Therefore, because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He, that is Jesus, or God the Father, made Him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you at the level that we have received the gospel, we have believed the gospel, we know the gospel, we love the gospel, and the gospel has changed us. We are new in Christ. Now today, God, challenge us with that calling that's placed on us to take this gospel to the hurting world around us. To take this gospel and apply it to our lives in the day today, so that we might remain reconciled Remain filled with the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 20, we encounter a new word. The word is ambassador. And that's a word that we still use in our common language. It is a, it is a title that's given to government officials and uh, government officials that travel from the United States to other countries and government officials that travel from other countries to the United States. But we're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about the Roman ambassadorship. What did it look like to be an ambassador in the ancient world? In the ancient Roman Empire, an ambassador was one who would represent an authority figure and deliver the message that authority figure had commanded and commissioned them to speak. An ambassador was a man of immense authority when they would travel in order of their authority. As such, Hughes writes this, the ambassador did not speak in his own name, he didn't act in his own authority, nor did his message originate with him, but it was a message that came from above. He stood in his sovereign stead and in his authority. There's sometimes in my home where I am too lazy, oftentimes, in my home where I am too lazy to deliver messages to my children. They're so far away. They're upstairs in my old house. I could just yell or speak, and, and they were somewhere nearby now. You have to go all the way up the stairs. I mean, it's, it's so hard. And so one of my other kids will be downstairs, and I'll say, hey, 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 Cademan, can you go up there and tell your brothers to clean their room? And Cademan may go up there, and he can go up and say, hey, Amos and Judson, clean your room. How's that going to land? Not very well. Why are you, Cademan, telling me to clean my room? I'm not going to listen to you. You're not an authority. But if he says those magic words, Dad said, clean your room. Then Cademan goes as an ambassador of his father. They probably still won't listen. It's usually better if it comes from faith. Nowadays, I, I was... <laughs> That's right, she, yeah, you know, you moms, you moms and dads know out there. Nowadays, I don't even have to do that. We've got Alexa, right? So I can just be like, hey, Alexa, make an announcement. Hopefully that doesn't trigger anybody's phones or anything right now. 
<laughs> tell the kids to clean their room and it, it, it will announce it through the house and then uh, it's a lazy way of doing things. But Paul is claiming here to be an ambassador of Jesus. What that means is that Jesus has sent Paul to represent him to the Corinthians. And really beyond that, Paul was sent to represent Jesus to the Gentile world. In, in the book of Acts, this is recorded as Paul stands before Agrippa, Acts 26. It says, at midday, O king, Paul is arguing his case. I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, and it shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith in me. I am sending you to the Gentiles with the message of new life and hope. And in, in Acts, Paul goes on to say, I was not disobedient to that command. I did it, I did it with my whole heart, and that's proved here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, God is making his appeal through us, and he appeals to the Corinthians yet again, be reconciled to him. Be reconciled to God. I hope you get a sense of, of Paul's heart here, his First of all, his faithfulness and obedience, that, that allegiance that he has to Jesus. I will do what Jesus instructs me to do. Uh, but then beyond that, you have his zeal for the calling that's been placed on his life. He's so excited and he's so passionate to be obedient to Christ. And then you see even another layer of his compassion and his love for the Corinthians. It just bleeds through what he writes and what he instructs. He, he loves the people to whom he is called to minister to. Uh, commentator Kent Hughes writes this. He says, as the apostle Paul made his ambassadorial appeal, it throbbed with divine conviction. The passion that welled up in God's heart, it rose up in Paul's heart as well. We implore you on behalf of of Christ be reconciled to God. So Paul not only conveys the message of reconciliation that God offers through Jesus, but he does so with the zeal and the compassion of God himself, doesn't he? It's not just, okay, deliver the message like a robot. It's we do it with the heart of God, with the love of God for others. And I'll tell you, that's where I need the work. That's where most of us probably need the work is that compassion that God has for others, we need it ourselves. So to be reconciled, to go back a little bit and rehash some of this, it's to reestablish a relationship that's been broken. There was enmity, you were enemies, but now being reconciled, you're brought together and there is now friendship. There is a friendliness that exists. What's important to note here in Paul's verbiage is that his plea for them to be reconciled we don't see this in the English language, but it's in the passive voice. 
be reconciled. But we're the passive actors in that. What, what does that mean? It means this, to be reconciled by God. Or, or you could put it this way, receive God's offer of reconciliation. This is important because as we learned last week in verse 18, all of this, he says, is from God. We don't work for reconciliation. We graciously and mercifully benefit from Jesus' work of reconciliation. You understand the, the vast difference between those two? It's the work that he does and he offers us. And so Paul zealously implores, that is he, he pleads with, he urges, he, he begs of the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. You can be a friend of God. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can have new life. You can know love. There are times as I observe people in the misery of this world, in the misery of their sin, and I, I've had a couple conversations with just church members this week and who you've, you've mentioned family that are just in the misery and these cycles and, and you just, you want to grab them by the collar and say, you can have hope. There's life that's possible. And you want to shake it into them. You want to force it on them. We can't do that. But we can continue to deliver this message. Be reconciled to God. We can plead. We can urge that there is joy to be had in Christ. Now, as I first read this, there's a little bit of confusion as I thought through this command that Paul has to give to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, by all accounts, he's addressed them as believers, right? These are followers of Jesus. He's called them that. He's recognized them as that. We sometimes question that. We're like, how can a believer act like these guys? These guys are rough. So, so how is it that Paul says to believers, be reconciled to God? Aren't they already reconciled to God? Well, I think there's a couple layers to this. I think the first layer would be this, that there are most certainly people within the fellowship of the Corinthian church who are not genuine or sincere in their faith. We know that there's false teachers that are in the church, right? They're trying to lead the people away from Paul, trying to lead the people away from the, the true gospel of Christ. And so Paul would be saying to them again, be reconciled to God. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Another layer to that, I think, would be understanding that as Jesus' followers, we need to consistently repent of our sins and return to faithfully following Jesus. We all know the pattern that we live in where we're, we're, we're consistently in our days and in our moments, we're choosing sin over Christ. We're choosing disobedience rather than obedience. And Paul calls us, Paul calls those within the Corinthian church, turn back to God. Be reconciled to God. Turn away from your sin. Turn back to Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness. There's reconciliation. I think one practical way that can happen, especially within the confines of a church, is when we allow enmity between ourselves and others. That's going on in Corinth, isn't it? If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you certainly know what's going on. There was division everywhere. 
They were fighting over all sorts of things. And so Paul's writing them about reconciliation. They're divided with Paul, aren't they? They're at enmity. Many of them are at enmity with Paul. And he calls them to be reconciled with God. See, when we're out of step with others, whether those are people within our family, people within our church family, it's a good indicator that we're out of step with God. When these things aren't right, the horizontal, it's usually an indicator that there's something vertical that's wrong. It's a classic means that Satan uses to destroy churches, families, relationships. He brings enmity and he divides. It's what, they're trying to, it's what he's trying to do with Paul and the Corinthians in this moment. And as we think about the Corinthians and their enmity with Paul, one, one more point I want to make on this particular point, just an observation. How, how do you suppose the Roman emperor would respond if he sent an ambassador to one of the regions to deliver a message and the ambassador showed up and they said, here's, here's the message from the emperor. And they said, we don't care. We don't want you here. Leave. How would the Roman emperor respond to that kind of treatment of his ambassador? Not very well. <laughs> if you've ever read about any of the Roman emperors. There would immediately be force that would come in. And subjugation of the people again. I think in this statement, Paul's firing a little bit of a shot across the bow of the Corinthians by saying, you shouldn't treat me this way because I'm an ambassador of Christ. And as you treat me this way, you're treating Christ this way. You shouldn't do that. This is dangerous territory for you to be in. As we think about Paul's plea then, that the Corinthians would be reconciled to God. How is it? How is it that God can offer us reconciliation? How can he take enemies and make them friends? How can he take rebels who are set against him and place them down at his table to feast and to dine and be a part of his family? How is it possible? Well, the cost of reconciliation, it's high. I mean, the cost of reconciliation is so, so high that we could never attain it. Even if we put all of our energies and efforts together, we could never reconcile ourselves to God. So high is the cost that only God could provide it. Only God could accomplish it. What is the means? What is the ambassador's message? It's verse 21. For our sake, He, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Truthfully, I have never found a better verse that captures the glory and the beauty of the gospel message so succinctly than 2 Corinthians 5.21. It seems that, that, it, that it's a condensed version of many things that we find in Isaiah chapter 53, that great passage that speaks of the suffering servant who will come. 
And I would challenge you this week, go read Isaiah 53. Look for the, look for the tentacles that, that form 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I would also challenge you this week, put this verse to memory. This is an incredible verse for you to have ready as an ambassador of Christ to speak that message in a succinct way. I want to highlight two truths. Two truths that, that come from this message that we know, we, we have embraced, we love, we're called to share with others. And the first one is this, Jesus was made sin. Jesus was made sin. Now that's supposed to be shocking, isn't it? Because if we, we think of Jesus and we think of his life and everything we read about it in the Gospels, it's his sinlessness that comes to the surface. It's that he is totally holy and different from all of creation. Even in Matthew 5 in that Sermon on the Mount, he says, I came to fulfill the law. I came to be perfectly righteous in every way. And we read in Hebrews chapter 4 of this high priest who is tempted and tested, tried like we are, yet without sin. But here we're told he was made to be sin. I don't know about you, but I do not like getting blamed or punished for things I didn't do. <laughs> right, when somebody says, you did this and I know I didn't do it, there is a, there is a, a, a lawyer that rises up within me to demand justice completely. How dare you call my character into question? That self-preserving sense of justice that burns inside of me that often leaves me walking around pounding my chest demanding personal justice. Yet all the while, I forget that, that, that on the cross, justice was horribly perverted. I mean, if we truly want justice and that's what we demand, then we would all be in hell right now. Because that's justice. The sinless Jesus being made sin is not justice. It's mercy. It's mercy for you. It's mercy for me. It's mercy for the world. On the cross, Jesus becomes the sinner that you are, the sinner that I am. He substitutes himself in my place and he substitutes himself in your place. And so as you think through this week and you think through your sins and the, the choices you made to allow bitterness to grow in you, to become overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, to, to speak words that were hateful to other people, Jesus becomes that sin. Jesus takes that sin upon himself on the cross. He is made to be that sin. And it's why the Father turns his face away. And it's why Jesus cries out those prophetic words from the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know the answer, don't we? He was forsaken so that I wouldn't be. He was made sin. In my place. As my substitute. I mean, ponder that for a moment. Think about the injustice. Think about the mercy that he shows us. 
There on the cross, Jesus is made to bear my sin. He endures the wrath of God that is due to me. I deserve to be forsaken, but Jesus is forsaken in my place. I deserved hell, but he endures hell in my place. Those were the wages of sin that I earned that were meant for me, but he takes them upon himself. But not only do I receive mercy at the hands of Jesus, but I also receive grace. Because Jesus doesn't just take on the cross, but he gives as well. That's the second point I want you to see. Not only is Jesus made sin, but we are made righteous. In mercy, Jesus takes the sinful me and he applies it to his own life, but in grace, he takes the sinless him and he applies it to my life. So in that moment, my sin is gone. The, the, the guilt, uh, the shame, the punishment, he, he takes it upon himself, but his righteousness is then deposited into my account. He gives of his righteousness to me. And so when the, the Father looks at me, the, the one who has time and time again selfishly rebelled, he doesn't see that because Jesus has taken it. But what does he see? He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus' life. And so positionally, I'm righteous before the Father. Friends, this is how reconciliation is possible. This is how we who were enemies can be made friends. We who were rebels are invited to, to sit at the, 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 the table with the king, with this holy father. But it's also important to note that Jesus' gift of righteousness, it isn't just positional. It's also practical. There's a practical edge. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We are being made righteous. If we go back just a chapter or so, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul worded it this way, that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. We're being made into the image of Son. So, so practically, we are being made what we already are positionally. We are being made righteous. That's what Tori was talking about earlier when he looks. Sometimes when we look at the, the week, the month, maybe even the year, we say, haven't been transformed from one degree of glory to another very much, if any. But when we look at our lifetime, we see the grace of God in practically making us more righteous, working into our lives the righteousness of Jesus that he's already given to us so that we can positionally be called a son of God, a daughter of God. This is the glorious message that stands at the center of humanity. This is the message that stands central to all time. This is the beacon of hope in the darkness. This is the message that the souls of billions hang on. The message of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul, as, as Jesus' ambassador, he, he gladly becomes a, a one-hit wonder kind of guy. Paul could have talked about a lot of things. He could have focused on a lot of things. You know what a one-hit wonder is, right? It's either a solo person or a band that 
over time, they only become known for one song. And their whole identity becomes consumed with that one song. They, they could put out another good song. Nobody cares. They're known for the one song that they came out with so many years ago. Dominates their career. Dominates their whole persona. Los Del Rio, the Macarena. You guys remember that one? I'm not going to do the dance for you. I couldn't do it. I'd slap myself a couple of times. Only thing they're ever known for. But everybody knows the Macarena. Hey, Macarena. My favorite. Vanilla Ice. Ice, Ice Baby. Yeah, that's more my jam from my day. And I could go in to stop, collaborate, and listen, and we could go through that. But it's all he's known for. He's, it's the one-hit wonder, and it, it encapsulates everything you ever really probably need to know about a guy who would name himself Vanilla Ice and, and live that particular persona. Well, Paul's one hit was the gospel. It was the message of Jesus crucified and resurrected, the message of reconciliation, the message so gloriously summarized in verse 20. 21, I mean. Paul had nothing else to give. He even writes that to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. I, I just came with this message. This is what I brought to you. He had nothing more important to share. And so day after day, he would get back up on the figurative stage of his life and he would sing that same song again of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection with the plea that they would be reconciled to God. Now before we leave the point, I, I, wanna, I want you to notice once again Paul's passion in this role as an ambassador, it bleeds over into chapter 6 in the first couple of verses. He says, then working together with him, then we appeal. We appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. Paul uses words like work. We work. We appeal. We plead. Being an ambassador is not a task for the faint of heart. Be, being an ambassador is a task that requires heart, the very heart of Christ for others. Heart that Paul describes in Jesus in Philippians 2, he says, who, though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, he didn't count equality of God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And Jesus took upon him the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, he found himself in human form, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus exemplifies this, this passion, this, this idea of being an ambassador as he, he gives of himself, as he loves others. There's a humility that goes with that, and Paul says, that's my heart, that's the model that I follow, and that should be your heart too. A heart that willingly gives. A heart that humbles itself for the benefit of others. His appeal to the Corinthians is that they would not receive the grace of God in vain. Uh, where, when have they received the grace of God? Time and time again. When Paul first showed up, he gave them the message. They received the grace of God. He wrote a letter. They received the grace of God. He wrote another letter. They received the grace of God. He shows up to, to encourage them again. They received the grace of God. He writes another letter. And now he's writing another letter. He sent countless people. They have received the grace of God and he says please don't receive it again in vain don't squander the opportunity 
to hear the word and do the word. Be obedient to the word. His fear is that they will once again ignore it, hear it, not do anything about it. And, and as a pastor, I get this. For those of you who have discipled others, you get this, you've counseled others, you've opened God's word and you've shared truth with them and they're moving through difficult things in their life and, and you get, don't receive this in vain. Heed the truth. Be obedient to the truth. If you're a parent, you get this. When you instruct your children and you, you, you tell them what is true and what is right, you feel that, that urgency. You feel that passion. Please just be obedient. Because being obedient is what will lead to a joy-filled life. Being disobedient will lead to destruction. That urgency that Paul speaks of leads him to quote from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. For some of you, that's probably blocked off a little bit, so you see it as a quotation. Isaiah 49.8, For he says, God says, Yahweh says, In a favorable time I, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. The prophet Isaiah is predicting a, predicting a time of God's favor, a time of God's own choosing when he will save his people. God would release them from their bondage and bring them back to their own lands. We understand this to be their, their release from the Babylonian captivity, that the times of Nehemiah and Ezra, when for whatever reason, because of God's providence, his control, the king would say, sure, go back to your cities. Go back to your land. Build it again. Isaiah's prophesying that that day will come. But Paul understands this to also be fulfilled, or I think you could say the greater fulfillment of this promise to be the incarnation, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because of his understanding of the times and the, the gracious opportunity that the Father is extending, Paul offers here a double behold. See it there? Behold, he says. In other words, pay attention. Listen to me. We don't use that word very often. Maybe we could bring it back when you're trying to get your kids' attention. Behold, you know, and then give your announcement. But, but he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now, today is the day of salvation. And he says, don't presume on it. Don't receive the grace in vain. He's warning them. Today is the day to accept the reconciliation that God offers through Jesus. Today is the day that you can be delivered from the guilt and the power of sin. Today is the day that you can finally, finally be at peace. And live in hope. Live with contentment. Today is that day. Man, I love Paul's heart. His heart of discipleship. His heart for the Corinthians. 
his heart for the world that's born out of his heart for Christ and all that he's done. And so friends, today, I say behold, it is the day of salvation. Like Paul, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Now is the favorable time. What are you waiting for? What more needs to happen? How many more messages do you need to hear? How many more pleas have to go out? Today is the day. Confess your faith. That is your trust in the work of Jesus. Not your works, not your righteousness, in his righteousness, in his work. Embrace the truth of verse 21 that he takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. So be reconciled to God. If you're a Jesus follower and you're, you're here today and you've been wandering, the choices you've been making have not been choices of obedience but willful choices of disobedience. You're not walking the path that, that you know is the path that is a path of righteousness that's making you more like Christ but leading you away. Then today I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Confess your sins. Repent. Be obedient. Maybe part of your reconciliation to God is this, you need to be reconciled to somebody else. You're at enmity. Maybe somebody in this room. And today you need to go to them because it is the favorable time to reconcile yourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, you too are an ambassador of Christ. You represent Jesus to the world. Isn't that amazing? We go with his authority, with his message. That's what he says in Matthew 28, right? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, so go. And make disciples and baptize them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you to do. We go in his authority as his ambassadors. To be a good ambassador, we have to know the message. We have to know the message that he wants us to convey. It's not our message. We don't get to change it or manipulate it or, or make it what we want it to be. We deliver his message, the message of reconciliation, the message of verse 21, that Jesus became sin and we can become righteous through the cross, through the resurrection. Are you growing in your understanding of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We need to be able to share that truth with people. But we also want to understand the deeper complexities of that truth. And we don't want to be satisfied. I know the three verses I need to take people to. We want to know the depths. And we want to see that, that truth.
truth through all of the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, this incredible, this beautiful story, this gospel that he has been working from page one to the final page. Grow in your understanding of the gospel. Grow in your understanding of it. There are so many tools, so many wonderful books. There's, there's this one right here that we need to be zealous about. Not only do you need to know the message, but I would also say this, to be a good ambassador, you need to know the king. I know him. Oh, but do you know his compassion? Have you plumbed the depths of his mercy and his grace? Do you know of his holiness? We need to know the one we represent, not just his message, but to know him. So that, so that when we take his message, we go with his passion. We go with his character in our own life. And we deliver the message not just simply as robots who are repeating something, but we go like Paul with such a zeal for people. With the heart of the Father himself beating in our chests, be reconciled to God. We plead. How do we grow in our love for God? How do we grow in our, our knowledge and love for others? We go back to the book. We read of it. We get to know him. And therefore, we begin to act like him and have the same passions he has. Last question then. Who are you making your appeal to? If you're his ambassador, and Paul is here making his appeal to the Corinthians, who are your Corinthians? Who are the people that God's put in your life and you're, you're praying for them? You're looking for opportunities to, to, to urge them and to share truth with them? Who are those people? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning for a time of response, a time where we invite you to, to pray, to confess sin, to give thanks. And this morning, there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of directions we could go. But I'll say this, if you're here today and you need to be reconciled to God, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you in that process and we would invite you to come just to my right to the prayer room over here. Nathan and Nikki Miracle are waiting right over here to pray with anybody who needs to be encouraged, needs to be reminded or, or even educated on questions you may have still. We want to make that available to you. But the appeal today is just be reconciled to God. If you're a Christian, Confess your sin. Repent. If you're an ambassador and you just haven't been a good ambassador, confess it. 
If you need to be reconciled to somebody, maybe somebody in this room, today is the day. Now is the favorable time. Don't receive the word in vain. I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna give us this opportunity to pray. Again, if you would like to pray with somebody, just make your way over here to my right to the prayer room. We would be glad to pray with you and encourage you. Father, my expectation is that there are many, many people that are going through our minds right now. And, and prayers have been prayed, God, for those people that need to hear the message of reconciliation. And so, God, I lift them up to you. I, I, lift, I lift those who are hurting, those who are hopeless, up to you today. And ask that you would help us to be faithful knowledgeable, compassionate, zealous ambassadors as we leave here today. That we would be eager, looking for opportunities to share the message of new life with this dying world. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's hearing the message and they've not yet been reconciled, God, that you would not let up. That your spirit would continue to just press upon them. That they would not be able to leave today receiving grace in vain. But that your grace would continue to just press upon them. And God, I pray that for those who have not yet been reconciled to you to become your child, but I pray for that for those of us who are Jesus followers and we're just hanging on to our sin. We're just comfortable in our idolatry. Spirit, don't let us be comfortable. For those who are here today, Father, you know their situations and you know that they're at enmity, maybe within their own home. Maybe it's within a relationship at work, their neighborhood, or even within this church that you would press us to be reconciled to one another and reconciled to you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Jesus, thank you for becoming sin. Thank you for enduring everything you endured. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. And God, may that motivate us to be the most faithful ambassadors we can be. We pray this in the righteousness and in the name of Jesus.